nice little singing from you i words cannot describe how broken my brain is by the way (laughs) because of being tired Sunday has broken me in ways man cannot comprehend and this episode did not help (laughs) this is a rough one this is a weird app i could not remember (sighs) the episode correctly you didn't i've i've seen this episode so many fucking times so I didn't remember this episode correctly. I was like, surely, like, no, this is three exactly. times I was like, surely this is the end of the episode. And no. it was not. <laughs> no, the thing that really kills me is that they catch up with themselves in time. And then there's still like 15 minutes of episode left. Yeah, that's what I was like. Yeah. Oh, surely they'll end the episode here. No. <laughs> yeah. I also want to like, say. What? I wrote down the time every time they showed the clock. And they Did said they 15... fuck up their own clock f- continuity. <laughs> yeah. Well, they said 15 minutes. You've only got 15 minutes. 15 minutes we're going in. Oh, I only need 15 minutes. Um, it took 25 minutes. <laughs> I was like, um... it's your fault because you literally said 15 minutes. And then you literally, once again, they, sh- they fucked themselves over by showing the goddamn clock. The same way where they give us the math for Derek's age and then they show us a picture that's different. It's like you kept saying 15 minutes exactly. And the guy, the deputy, even bursts into the diner at the end and says, okay, time's up. It's been 15 minutes. No, it's been 25 Maybe he's just really bad at keeping time. Actually, he did. He forgot his watch that day. Did we check? Was that actor wearing a watch? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I do have some fun research for this. They make reference to a few different two pieces of media and one real life killer. So I did want to. I do have that info. And then I have some info about Golconda, the town. Because I thought that was fun. Terrible town name, actually. actually I know that's terrible. an actual town name, but yeah. Well, it's why named are you after your... it's named after a place in Italy. So let's just do it. Um. Oh wait, no. First. Would you like to talk about season two, episode 13, No Way Out? James, I would love to talk about season two, episode 13, No Way Out on this here Wheels Up, our Criminal Minds podcast. You really stuttered before you said 13, huh? You were really like, uh, uh. I was like, I don't fucking know what episode this is. (laughs) Also, I wrote down every time they said No Way Out, and it is like five or six times. So you can check that box. They say it repeatedly. I don't understand. There was no way out. You have no No way way out. out. (laughs) How did this happen? There was no way out. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of that. 
they they kind of here's the thing is the last four episodes we've watched they haven't said the name of the episode within the episode so mm. they were really just like catching up like making sure they said the name of the episode across all the episodes you know as many times so like sure, they were making make up, up for, for the it. last four times that they didn't say yeah. the episode title within the episode they don't say it next episode they might the one after that um they do for 17 how funny okay so let me tell you about Golconda the place. Yeah, what's up with Golconda? So I didn't write down what it was named after, but it was named after an Italian mine, like Jew Jam mine. So it was founded in like 1898. And from 1898 to 1910. No, sorry, it was founded in 1869. Nice. Nice. Um, when it got its first post office. Um, so it has a post office. Which I've heard is a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. So during 1898 to 1910, the town had a train depot, hotels, a school, businesses, a newspaper, and two brothels. Oh, so true. Are you ready for this? Live in large. It had two brothels, okay? The peak population was in 1907 at 600. The largest your town has ever been is 600 people, and you have two brothels. Honestly, though, make your money. Make your make your money. I think yeah. that's really funny. But also, this is, where is Golconda? Is it in Nevada? It, yeah, it's in, it is in Nevada, just off of I-80, just north. Uh, but here's the thing. It's not a town. It's a census-designated place. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So it's unincorporated, just county territory. And the only rules for the census-designated place are... It's a a post office, right? Well, probably, yeah. But it has to have a name that Mm -hmm. the people call it. And it's not like, you know, a paper town. The government doesn't just give them a name. Like, because the people call this town Golconda... It counts as a location. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And in 2010, it had a population of 214. Real tiny town. So it's like a village. It's like a village. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, why you only have a population of 200. Um, Weird that they have a sheriff. Yeah. And like a pretty large police department from what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that. So it doesn't have. It's they're sort of like that might be like the county seat. So those are. Sort I was going like, to well, I was going to say the, it's the county or the the state office or whatever. It's unincorporated, so it technically is county land. It's not a city. So she might they she might say yeah like yeah I'm the sheriff of Golconda, but in reality she's like the sheriff of this many square miles of, of county, county land. Yeah. That would make more sense. Or if they were near the interstate, they might also be just like state troopers. That's true. Huh. But also like, so Miami actually where I'm from has just random sections of unincorporated Miami-Dade County. And yeah. it's the <laughs> county police that does it. So she might be like a county, a county sheriff. Yeah. But there's like fucking nothing in that county. So she's like, I guess I'm just like sheriff of Golconda. And then okay. a whole bunch of desert. Yeehaw. <laughs> like, yeah. What is up with this episode? 
it's James. It's wild. There's like a lot that happens here very quickly. I will say a couple of good things, right? I I enjoy the flashback aspect of it mm-hmm. for a bit. For a bit, yeah. For like a bit. But I think it's fun that it's like Gideon is telling Frank the story of how he got caught. Yeah. Meanwhile, Frank is sitting the whole there the whole time knowing that yeah, just because you've got me doesn't mean started. I've stopped doing things. Yeah. Um, I also, towards the end of the episode, made a little potential timeline of Frank's day. Because <laughs> a lot really happens. Doesn't, there's a lot. He is busy. busy. He is booked and busy. Booked and busy. Yeah. So I made a potential timeline of his um, little day. Oh, also the other, another fact I have right off the top is Frank and Jane are referenced to the movie The Naked Gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay. Because yeah, the yeah. main characters, I guess, Frank and Jane. Yeah, that tracks. So that's about right. Okay. So, yeah, I like the time. I, I'm i just going to fucking say it. I love Frank. Frank is really good. I love that smarmy dude. Apparently that actor in a different show also played a, in, I think Dexter played a serial killer that had been killing for 30 years. <laughs> so that's just like- So he really he like found his niche. Yeah. He really found his niche. Yeah. I think I think this guy, Keith Carradine, is a very like old school actor. Like he was on like Nashville and Fargo and like this dude's been on a lot. Uh, yeah. His um in Dexter when he also played a I believe a serial killer mm-hmm. um his name on that show his character's name on that show was Frank Lundy. Mm. Like I will say I just he's really good. That guy looks like a Keith. Yeah, he looks like a Keith, doesn't he? He does. Doesn't he? He look, looks like a Frank, I guess, but he also looks like a Keith. I also think it takes a lot though to like, kudos to Keith Carradine here. It takes a lot to sit at a diner table across from Mandy Patinkin and, like, act One your ass off. Yeah. Doing so little, but saying so much. You know, like, that takes skill. Yeah. Like, it takes a lot to be that good. Yeah, like, I really do think he... It he killed it. Yeah, in the whole episode, every time it cut to him... Every time I come back to him, I was like, he is whipping Gideon's ass. Yeah. Like at one point, Derek's like, you got in his head, Gideon. And I was like, no, dude. Until the end, Frank has the upper hand. Even, and we cannot spoiler the second half of this because it's like huge. Um, I just highlighted some things that I'm going to say, keep a pin in that. But even in the fucking second part, he outsmarts Gideon. Gideon loses to Frank. Yeah. Like, both times. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think we have to give all of the kudos in the world to Keith Carradine because, like, dude. Yeah. Absolutely fucking killing it. Also, one quick correction before somebody else corrects us. Huh. Keith Carradine, on Dexter, he played Frank Lundy. 
who actually, he was not a serial killer who had been killing for 30 years. He was hunting the serial killer who had been killing for 30 years. Oh, He was Special Agent Frank Lundy. Yeah, so I just wanted to catch that before anybody tries to step to us. I got you. Yeah. I know, I know. I can look up Dexter trivia. I can do that. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. What else do I want to say? I love Jane. Oh my gosh. That actress. Oh my gosh, Jane. Please say her name because that actress fucking commits to this. Oh, what is her name? What is her name? I think what if I name? saw her, her in something else. Her name is Amy Madigan. If I saw her in something else, I would not recognize her. She was in Field of Dreams, which is the first thing that pops up on her IMDb page. The baseball movie? The baseball movie, yes. Huh. She was also okay. more recently in um, Penny Dreadful and... Mm-hmm. Um, let me see what else like I might you might recognize. She's in a TV series called Ice. She also plays Dr. Catherine Wyatt on Grey's Anatomy for a few years, which is probably where people would know her from. Okay. No, she fucking commits. She's good. She's good. She's really good. Ugh. Everyone in this episode. George. I love George. George is so fun. Yeah. Even Silo. The deputy. The deputy? Yeah. Also was really good. Like, everybody in this episode kind of killed it, actually. Yeah. This is a good episode, but it's it's weirdly paced. This is a very well-acted episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah. The nicest thing I can say about it. (laughs) I realized, like, halfway through that JJ and Penelope are still on the East Coast, so they're four hours ahead of everyone else, and that's why they keep falling asleep. Because it's like 8 p.m. in Golconda and it's it's like 1 a.m. in D.C. Yeah, yeah. That did make me laugh. I I like suddenly was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Time difference, yeah. And also they did not go home at all. They were just there. So like they were probably just like cuddled up on um, a bunch of chairs in Penelope's office. Yeah. Yeah, you like literally see them. Penelope's like asleep with her little stuffed animal and JJ's just fully head down on the desk. No, it's very funny. Anyway, let's get into this episode so we can okay. talk about it. Okay. So we start with just like a pan of the, a desert, mountains, Golconda, Nevada. I didn't look it up, but I would assume they actually filmed this in Nevada because it's not that far from California. Or like, you know, east enough in California to look like Nevada. I can't imagine this much difference. Yeah. There's some spooky birds. We see a car, like tires spinning, driving away. Spooky birds. <laughs> I mean, you know, birds that are spooky, spooky, spooky birds. Uh, and then you see like a hand with a bracelet and you're like, oh, no, a dead body. And nope, just an arm. Just an arm. Just like an arm. And then we cut to like an old timey diner, like a 50s fun 50s diner. It's one minute to 3 p.m. So it's yeah. 2.59 p.m. The waitress says ribeye, Adam and Eve on a wrap, sink them, and a strawberry shake. Um, this actually doesn't make sense as an order. So Adam and Eve on a wrap, a raft does, it. it is two poached eggs on toast, but the term sink them means to poach them. But Adam and Eve is already poached. So she just said to poach them twice. Sometimes, I looked it up. though, <laughs> you have to, sometimes, though, here's the thing, here's the thing. Yeah. It's about the vibes. <laughs> okay. I was like, it's probably for the rhythm on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Can I get a ribeye and Adam and Eve on a wrap? Sink them and a strawberry shake. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so that she can do a lot of orders really quickly in yeah. that, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just three orders. Gideon walks in and the woman goes, like, Hey, handsome, where have you been all my life? Which is very funny. And then he just fully ignores her. Fully, absolutely ignores you her. You could ask her, him, like, Hey, what that woman say to you? And he'd go, What woman? He paid so little Literally. attention to her. So he walks by and the woman's like, Okay, damn, I didn't need anything anyway. Like, which is so funny. Yeah. This woman treats every part of her day with a smile. Gideon walks in, completely ignores her, and she's like, all right, well, fuck you then. Like, yeah. She's like, oh, well, hey, stranger. Oh, never mind. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> um, Gideon goes right to Frank, and there's, like, some old guy, like, looks over his shoulder all, like, it felt like they are trying to do, like, a Wild West, like, he walks into the diner all, like, clinky, you know? Yeah, so he sits across from Frank or something, and Frank's like, oh, you gotta try Fat Sam's Strawberry Milkshake. And I was like, okay. I was like, is Fat Sam the diner or the cook? Who knows? I think I think it's the diner. I think it's Fat Sam's diner, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, the outside just said diner, so. I mean, yeah, um, they, didn't, they didn't speak extra for the sign. No. Also, Derek is in a leather jacket. In that Nevada heat? No, Bestie. so so they're all freezing. So it's January 17th. So it's cold in the desert. He's still in the desert. Yeah, I guess so. That's they're okay. still fairly I, far south. I did make a I did make a note. They're not fairly far south. They're like one they're just below Montana, aren't they? Or just below Idaho? No. Nevada's I mean, like they're, middle they're of the country. The, well, but they're in like they're like no, the desert further, gets cold at. Gets cold. I know, but they're further south than, like, say, Kansas is. Like, eighty is at the top of the state, though. I guess it is right below Idaho. But like, I really hate to break it to you, it doesn't get that cold on that side of the country. Well, um, and it's so stupid because next episode, which takes place fucking like February fourth. JJ is outside in February in DC in a crop top. And now they're like in Nevada in the desert in jackets. They also do the desert thing where they like establish like heat lines and everything. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Interesting. Am I supposed to think it's cold? You did the desert thing that you get right. every TV show. You did the desert thing. I'm not going to think it's cold. Sorry. I understand like at night them wearing jackets, but like Emily's fully trench coat era the whole day. <laughs> in the middle of the day in Nevada. I'll give him a hoodie, but whatever. Okay. Derek's being, Derek's being all tough. Uh, the shake comes and I like that they did the touch of like the metal cup. You get like the extra metal cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... Frank is like, what's your name? And he says, Jason Gideon. And he's like, Jason, that means to heal. Gideon, hero. Your parents had great ambitions for you. And he's like, my name's Frank. <laughs> That's a type of spear. What aspirations did my parents have? And then I wrote this in all cap. Derek goes, why don't we cut the crap, Frank? <laughs> he's literally, he's so tired all the time this episode Derek is like I have been up for 48 hours with this asshole 
can you just like... I've been running around this city all goddamn day with this motherfucker. Just make it easy, please. Yeah. Please. (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately, Frank does not make it easy. Oh my god. Yes, I think he makes it so hard. He's so smarmy, but like, I love it. Yeah. But also, I I wrote right here, actually, my next note is, I love that Frank is so chill. Because like, the whole thing is that he doesn't have feelings. So, like, why would he get nervous? Yeah. You know? I mean, it makes sense. Also, he has this secret the whole time. Like, they're like, ha, 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 we caught you. And he's like, nah, dude, your kids are in the desert. So, like, (laughs) okay. He's like, all right, just think you've won. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. He's like, yeah, no, be, do you. Um, And Gideon shows his badge. Also, okay. I I think I've brought it up before. I'm bringing it up again. Why does everybody know the BAU? Gideon shows his badge and Frank's like, oh, BAU. Wow. And I was like, okay, like, sure, now, maybe if people are into Criminal Minds. But before I watched Criminal Minds, I had no idea what the fuck the BAU was. So, like, why does every person on this planet know the acronym BAU? What do you want to bet? <laughs> what do you want to bet that Frank only knows them? Uh, because he is, in fact, a serial killer. Like he's looked them up? Yeah, he's like, what are people saying about me and people like me on the internet? Because Gideon does mention, like, you know exactly what you right. are. So maybe he's gone into criminal psychology a little bit just to try and figure out who he is. That is the only, this is like one of the few times I'll be like, yeah, it makes sense that this person knows who the BAU is. That's Every true. other time it's just like a random person on the street. No. They say it to like businesses, like to a receptionist. And the receptionist will be like, oh my God, the BAU. OMG, the behavioral analysis unit, you guys are so cool. Like, wow. fuck you. Okay. So then Gideon gives the profile. Mid to late 50s, he listens to Beethoven. He wears a corduroy jacket with a fleece-lined collar. And on his right inside pocket, he'll have a notebook with extensive details accounts of torture. Here's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Last episode, the profile was just a guide. It's about exclusion more than inclusion. And Gideon sits down and goes, yeah, the profile is you, motherfucker. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> Like, one episode ago, they were like, well, it's really just so we, like, know what to do. And then Emily's over here like, yeah, he's got, like, a truck or an RV muted in color, American-made for sure. That's him. And it's like, Do you uh, you remember the first episode with the fucking, what's the make, the Jeep Cherokee? What's the make? What's the make? (laughs) I love... Here's the thing, though. When you Mm -hmm. are very good in your field, you can just sort of spew bullshit and people will believe it. The thing is, is like, I believe this method of profiling. Like, I think he's going to be around this age. I think he's going to be like this. He's probably into this. Whatever. It's it's when they turn around and go, actually, the profile is for exclusion. But I say he's in his mid to late 50s. What I mean is he's not any other age outside of mid to late like no that's <laughs> not yeah i think a lot of what they also kind of do in this show is when they need to make it more about like the department like the cops they're helping or whatever mm. they're always like 
this is a simple profile. <laughs> then this is like when you get a bunch of fucking like academics in a room together. Right. They're all like, here's the jargon. He wears a fleece lined coat and he's left-handed. He writes uh, in tiny little journals and he murders people for funsies. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think part of it though, I think one thing that does make me laugh is when they give the profile in the police office, Gideon does not mention the corduroy jacket and fleece-lined collar. So I feel like he sat down in front of Frank and just like added that as an extra like, yeah, yeah, we know exactly. about you. Like, it's like, no, he's just wearing that jacket. Um, Derek manhandles Frank and gets the notebook out and it's new. So there's only like two people written in it. Um, but also one was like a black man and one was a fem- uh, a white female. And I'm that they, the head they show is a black man. I'm guessing that's the bus driver because we know the white female is Tommy's teacher. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that, but yeah. Huh. Yeah, I didn't put that together till the end Literally of the episode. Right oh. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. But um, when I just, because they say later, like, oh, he also killed the bus driver. But that's what Mark says. And the only way they'd know, anyone would know they killed the bus driver, Mark saw the face of the person. And so he knows, like, oh, shit, they also cut the bus driver. That's what that head is. Right? So that's the points for you. Honestly, I, like, don't want to give points to Criminal Minds. I want to give points to Frank. <laughs> points to Frank for making all of your murders really poignant at this point in time. Yeah. Um, and then Derek says, um, like, you're not magic. You're a serial killer. Which is funny, then, because at the end, Frank goes, it's magic time. It's also funny because Frank must be a fucking time management wizard to get all of his shit done that day. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> and like, okay, we'll talk about it at the end. Actually, let's talk about it right now because I can't keep, I, I wrote it at the end, but we got to talk about this timeline. Okay. Okay, what's up? Here's my guess as for how Frank managed Here's our day. best guess at Frank's time management skills. Yes. So the, we know the episode takes place on January 17th, 2007, because that's what the coroner's report says. So, the day before is when all this happens. So, on January 16th, um, at some time during the day, it was still light out, Frank drops off these two bodies, drives away. That's the car at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Then the bodies are found. We don't know how or when. They were just found. Okay. Yeah. So then... Frank would have to, my, my timeline is that Frank has already killed the bus driver at this point and maybe kidnapped the school teacher, but that's, that's a loose one. So he, okay, hold up. When does, so like what time of day does he kill the bus driver and kidnap the school teacher? It would be the evening of the 16th when all of the kids are home school is done for the day no one would be looking for the teacher and or the bus driver and there's a school trip there's a school trip in the morning so you think he i think he had already well actually wait no i think it doesn't make sense to me that he's already murdered the bus driver at least the teacher sure i can see him taking her off at any point in time the bus driver though i feel like if you need to, like, check in kids and stuff, they wouldn't just hand them off to Actually, any sort of fucking right. random guy. Okay, I'm going to change my... I'm going to change my... I stick by him replacing the bus driver, but I'm going to change my timeline. 
he drops the people off, the bodies off, kind of probably like 10 to 11 a.m. on the 16th of January. Okay, early in the day. Uh Yeah. The BAU is called once the bodies are found. The BAU gets there, we still know this, in the afternoon on the 16th. Because, remember, Gideon refuses to not work for the night. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So they get this the 16th in the afternoon. In the afternoon. And also, they're going back in time. So if they got the call at, you know, 6 p.m. their time, they would still get to to Nevada by 2 p.m. Yeah, okay. So we have some wiggle room there. So that afternoon, they're... um, Right, Hodge, Gideon, and Derek look at the bodies. Emily and Spencer go straight to the police station. They meet Jane... So at that point, Jane is still in the police station. She has not left yet. So Frank, I guess, would know she was in the police station because he hides in her barn when he's in Golconda. He parks his truck in the back. He lives in her barn while he's in Golconda. We know that. Um, That's what Emily says to Jane at the end of the episode to try and get her to, like, realize he's not an alien. Um, It doesn't work. Then, <laughs> so then, Jane is in the police Stupid, station. Actually, I sorry, I just got no, reminded right. of the fact that she thinks that he's an alien pretty much the whole time, and I was like, like "This episode's time. stupid." I know, um, I love it though, and we'll talk about aliens uh, anyway. So then, I, I my guess is he would go back to her barn and wait for her, or he is hanging outside of the police station where she is because that night. George takes Jane home and Frank knows that Jane is at George's house. So I'm betting that he, well, here's the thing. So Jane knows he's back in town because that's why she wants to stay at the police station. She says, he's back. I need to stay here. I don't want to go home. So she knows he's at the house. So I bet that he is waiting either at the house to wait for her to come home. She doesn't come home. He goes to the police station, or he's outside the police station the whole time. Yeah. Um, and okay. at that point, he could, like, go to the diner for dinner and no one would know it was him, right? So, so then he follows George and Jane home. Mm-hmm. So then he goes into George's house. Jane runs away. He takes George instead. At that point, he already has the school teacher. Because George sees the school teacher being tortured. Huh. Yeah, okay. So sometime between... Well, so the bodies are discovered. And then it's that same day Emily and Derek and Spencer are walking around looking at RVs. Yeah. So I'm like, I, th- I think probably during that time, George, uh, Frank is making his plan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then he would kidnap the school teacher... That evening, ketamine her stick him in his trailer at Jane's house. Um, and then he could probably go back to the police station, or maybe he's realized Jane isn't coming home, goes to the police station, follows George and Jane to George's house. He goes in, he can't get to Jane, so he takes George. Takes George. So then, now it's the middle of the night. It is now wee hours of January 17th. Okay? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And we know that between the wee hours and 3 p.m., right, he does the school bus stuff. He kidnaps a school bus full of children. Yeah. So my so my guess is he kills the driver in those wee hours because they're on a field trip. So they would leave early before school because they're going somewhere. Yeah. Field trips, mm-hmm. you'd leave at like 5 or 6 a.m. So I'm sometimes, guessing. Yeah. Sometimes. So either he kills the the driver. That's what I would guess. Or, or he, inter- actually, you know what? I take that back. He intercepts the school bus on the way out of town, takes the children, puts them in that ditch, kills the driver, takes the school bus back to town. And no one knows the kids are missing because the school bus is abandoned just outside of town. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that has to be what happens. Yeah. And then, and that makes sense because then he can leave a car in the desert for him and Jane. Because remember the track stops suddenly? They get in a car and they leave. So he drives his car to the desert, stops the school bus, puts the kids away, takes the dude, drives back to town. The dude's body, we never find it. I'm assuming it's in the desert. But then he gets the body. He puts it in the bag. He drives a truck to where the diner is, the center of town, turns on Catherine Hale's cell phone, and goes to get his milkshake. Yeah. Yeah. This timeline is stupid. The fact that we just spent 20 minutes trying to figure out the Criminal Minds timeline of a fucking flashback episode. I know. There really is, like, Frank does a lot of just kind of hanging out. He really is just, like, hanging out for a lot of the day on the 17th. I mean, I think, like, I think part of that day is him torturing the school teacher. Because they course. do, they find her dead. So by the, by 3, like, 10, they still haven't found George yet. The husband, Mark, comes in, right? So the school teacher is dead in the truck while he's in the diner. So he's killed her beforehand. Um, and he I has think the head in the bag. Yeah, already. It just, it's a its a lot. Because I, I literally was like, I saw this and I was like, that's a lot to do. And like Derek says, it isn't magic. He has to have done this at some point. Yeah, so when he stops the bus, he probably kills and beheads the bus driver right there and takes the teacher. And that's why... George would be like kind of conscious enough to watch him because the school teacher dies while George is in the truck because George sees it happen. Yeah. So it's like that night or first thing in the morning and the kids are out there like all fucking day long. Yeah. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. It's just a lot of time. It's a lot of ground to cover for one dude. It's a lot of murdering to do in a very short period of time. I was like, the only way it makes sense is if all that extra time is the fact that he has to fucking walk to the desert and back. <laughs> he has to spend like three hours of his day fucking walking with two dead bodies. Just fucking trekking through the desert. Yeah, no, it makes no goddamn sense. Let's talk about mm. the episode. Okay. Let's get back to the episode because we've been recording for 45 minutes and we are maybe 
two scenes in. Okay. Okay. We can't keep doing this. I'm sorry. I'm so tired, James. We can't keep okay, doing okay. this. Okay, we're going, we're going. Okay, so then Frank is like, when I'm done with my shake, you'll get what you want, but then I'm just going to walk out. And Derek's like, there's no way you're walking out. And Frank calls him a lapdog. And I was like, okay, for that, fuck you, Frank. So then they like zoom through the window of the diner. <laughs> you see all the police cars like rolling up with their guns. And then the um the theme song starts. I had the subtitles on for a little bit at the beginning. The theme when the theme music plays, it says tense mystery theme. Which uh, it's not even like Criminal Minds theme. It's just like tense mystery. Tense mystery theme. Yeah. Okay, so then we go back and the cops are like, we're going in in 15 minutes. We go back to the window. It's now a few minutes after 3 p.m. Frank does call Derek hot. <laughs> Frank's like, if I had your looks, do you know how many doors would be open to me? Um, I enjoyed that. <laughs> My sexual king, Frank <laughs> Bitkoff? Brykoff, yeah. Brykoff? Although we don't learn that this episode. Bisexual king, question mark? Question mark? Um, I guess. Hmm. Okay, then Gideon's like, hey, do you want me to tell you how we found you? And Derek's like, dude, Gideon. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. And Gideon's like, I'm going to tell them. So, yesterday, we got a call from Sheriff Georgia Davies. And then I did enjoy this. They zoom in on Frank's hand drinking the milkshake, and it fades through his hand, and then the fingers become the rib cages. Yeah, I was like, that one's kind of clever. I'll give yeah. you guys that one. I was like, okay. I was like, going through the that window, one, that looked stupid. But this, that's cool. So now it's one day earlier. Um, in 1996, a male's ribcage was found in Desert Rose National Park. It's nothing. This morning, January the 16th, two people were found in almost the same area. And Emily's like, it's been 10 years. It could be a coincidence. And Spencer's like, nah, all the bodies were missing the right rib bone. Which is very specific. Which is very specific. Um, so then a male and a female body were found that morning. We know the male died first. The woman is Catherine Hale. Uh, she was wearing a wristband with her name on it. She ran away from her small Colorado town. That's what JJ says. Her small Colorado town. Uh, and Hotch is like, oh, so he's crossing state lines. Um, and Derek asks, well, why was there a big break in killing? What was he doing all those years? And Gideon walks in with a box and says, he was killing. These cases go back 30 years. He's just like pulling out folders. And he's like, all the victimology is the same. They're unwanted. Their rib bones are missing. And he has 13 cases. Over the last 30 years. All around I-80. I but this is not the same I-80 killer that Emily profiles. Even though they also mentioned Gary and Deanna. It's not the same. I don't think so. Maybe it it's is. It's just weird. It's just weird. Um, and they said that like before now, the remains were not intact enough. Or like... Nobody has ever been dropped off so close to the time of killing. Um, he's never done two kills at one time. So they're like, so wait a minute. All of these cases, that would make him. And then it zooms in on Gideon's face. And he says, 
the most prolific serial killer ever. I okay, so I know once a thing. season. They get one a season. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, right? Yeah, because in the last time it was like a the natu- natural predator, natural born killer, natural born killer. Thank you, um, natural predator, natural born killer. He's killed like hundreds of people, and they were like, he's the most prolific. This guy's like, not to say thirteen killings isn't a lot, but at this time they only think there's thirteen killings. I okay. There's a thing way, way more than that, but the last, the last most prolific serial killer of all time they had was Hotch's guy. This is Gideon's guy, who's the most, who's the most prolific serial killer of all time. Right, right. Gideon's was like the second. Yeah. Or Hotch's was like the second. (laughs) Well, Gideon's is no. They they sort of like have little like trading cards of just (laughs) who they think the most prolific serial killers of all time is. All times. All times are. Yeah. So then Gideon's like the most prolific serial killer ever. And then it cuts back to Frank and Frank's like, oh, wow, me? <laughs> the most prolific ever? Me? Oh, me? Wow. Uh, and then it just cuts back to a flashback. <laughs> We're just like, Sorry, we just needed a second to show you Frank being like, little old me? Little old me? I would never. I would Not never. Not on my heart. I would never. I don't know what, like, a Western accent is. Like, I only know Southern. Okay. I know. Back to yesterday. There's a cop throwing up outside the tent, and George is like, a deputy drove, he drove 60 miles just to throw up. Nothing to see here. And it's like, no one has seen just a torso cut open like that before. Which I'm guessing they haven't, but they're driving, like, from way far to see the body. She goes to introduce herself, Gideon, straight past her. Not even a glance. Gideon does not care about women this episode, actually. Actually? Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. Not even Jane, really. Um, I, didn't, I don't want to be the one to say it, but... Out. Frank is the one who says it. Gideon and his misogynist era? Gideon in every episode he's in? <gasps> who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Not I. <laughs> not me. Okay, um, and then George goes to Hotch, and Hotch is like, sorry, and Hotch introduces them. Uh, and George is like, I was standing right here 10 years ago, and I had the same feeling I have now. And Gideon's like, what's that feeling? And she's like, I'm worried it's about it's someone in my town. And she's that, right. Because, I mean, she's right. That's scary in a roundabout way, she's right. Oh, yeah, it is someone in her town, ain't it? Um, so then... George's phone rings. Her husband's ringtone is Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, which is a song about how Frank Zappa and the mothers, the band he was with, were performing at like a gambling hall in a small town and somebody set off a flare gun and the whole place burned down. (laughs) That's what the song is about. Romantic? I was like, uh, (laughs) one, what? And two, oh, it's about Frank Zappa in a burning building. So I kept waiting for, like, a flare gun to be part of it. I was like, wait, does Gideon set up a flare in the end and that's how they find him? No. I think it's just, like, Frank involved in a freak accident in a small town. You know, whatever. Then they mentioned... Also, absolutely, 
nobody else on earth knows the backstory to that song and was like waiting for a flare gun to come up. I'm sorry. It's no, the just lyrics like, in it say Frank Zappa and the Brothers were performing and a idiot set off a flare gun and the whole place burned down. Those are the lyrics I know, but the like, song. it's like three <laughs> seconds of a song. I was bow, more focused bow, bow, on. Bow, 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 yeah. I was more focused on the fact that sh- they like made a big deal about her husband. Like that's what I was more focused on and what probably most people watching were focused on than the lyrics of a song they heard three seconds to. Sorry. I'm sorry, but Is it the is it the the tism? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, oh a song? What song? What are the lyrics? Is this important? Where was it pl-? <laughs> Okay. All right. Anyway. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I just had to point that out before somebody was like, what the fuck? <laughs> right, she has a husband and he's calling her. Uh, there's also a recent spike in the coyote population. And then Deputy, I wrote Deputy Rick. Yeah, is Rick Silo. The, okay, it is. his name is Rick. Okay, yeah. you said Silo earlier and then I looked at my note and I was like, why did I write Rick? <laughs> um, He's skeptical that it's a serial killer. He's skeptical this whole goddamn episode for no reason. Except, we're about to see, Emily and Spencer at the police station, and the cop just, like, throws Emily's badge back at her, and Spencer's like, Jesus Christ. And Emily's like, yeah, they don't really like cops. (laughs) They don't like the federal government out here. I, like, I get it, we talked about this before with, like, small towns, but, like, you're also a cop. Like, you're a cop, they're a fancy cop. Like, you're still cops. I don't, I don't, I get the townspeople, but, like, you're also the cops. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up in small towns, but I absolutely can see some fucking good old boy sheriffs being fucking dicks to FBI profilers that come into town. Especially, like, it's Emily Prentice and Spencer Reed. They, okay, we need to take a moment to talk about them this episode. Yeah. They are the gayest mm-hmm. little duo. She's got her, like, she Emily looks like she's a hangover this whole episode. Every time I watch this episode, I cackle at Emily's giant fucking sunglasses, her, like, trench coat. She looks confused as shit constantly. So does Spencer. Like, you could not say city gays anymore than Emily and spencer in this episode like you literally could not be any more city gay if you tried they both said ew it's really dusty out here (laughs) no literally it's so it's like sorry uh, uh, did you queer code them on purpose because that's what happened yeah well number one yes they did number two like that's why to me it tracks that the cops at the station are fucking dicks to the FBI agents because the first two FBI agents they've seen in who God knows how long are fucking Emily Prentice and Spencer Reed. God, can you imagine being like, ugh, the FBI is coming, but like I guess it's gonna help, and then in walks this lesbian and her twink, and you're like, oh, this lesbian in her pocket twink, yeah. They're those kinds of city people. <laughs> those kind of FBI agents. Those liberals over there. Um, okay, so then a woman is screaming. Um, and she's she calls Emily princess. I think this is the first time Emily gets called a princess. 
Yeah. Um, she's also wearing her beige turtleneck. Very cute. But she gets called princess by Jane. And then Jane grabs Spencer and says, he's coming back. He's going to get me. There's nothing you can do. He's coming back. And she's terrified. Terrified. Mm-hmm. And she's screaming and screaming. And then she drops something. And the cop is dragging her away. Um, and Emily picks it up and is like, oh, you dropped it. It's harmless. I'll give it back to her. And then she holds it out and Jane just like grabs her hand and stares her in the eye. And then it's like, thank you. And Emily's like, it's pretty. What is it? And then she just says, it's a whistle. And she's using it. Just whistling. Just whistling. It's this thing. And then Reed says, a psycho with a whistle. I was like, Reed, your yeah. mother doesn't behave too dissimilarly to this. Uh... Thought that was super out of line out of line and out of character super out of line and out of character like in what like spencer reed spencer i'm scared of my own mind is like she's psycho she's crazy and, and then she they, has like, a whistle what's next yeah and then emily also calls her crazy jane later they all the call episode. her crazy jane I was you guys like, are the psychologists i literally was like why are we like, it's one thing, like, we were upset when they would be like, oh, psychotic break, or like, oh, this or that. But to straight up, for Dr. Spencer Reed, my mother is schizophrenic, to see this woman and then say, oh, great, a psycho with a whistle. Like, what? He's like, he's like that's not too weird. Um, fuck you, Spencer Reed. You're real cute this episode, but that's out of line. <laughs> okay. Back to the bodies. Okay, now we have to talk about Derek again. Derek! Derek, okay, we talked about Emily's huge sunglasses. Derek, her bestie, opposite end of the spectrum. Skinny, the skinny little rectangles. It's 2007, frameless. He looks so stupid. I mean, somehow he rocks it. But yeah, at one point he like flips open his razor phone with his tiny sunglasses. And I was just like, <laughs> sure is 2007, huh? Sure is January 2007. Sure is 2007. Um, yeah. Well, howdy ho, huh? Okay. Derek is like, hey, this body has prison gang tattoos and they can see pen marks where the killer like drew lines guidelines to do the incisions he clearly has anatomical knowledge and gideon is like did he cauterize the wounds and he did which means that the victims were alive when he was cutting them apart then it's really serious but at the same time derek is texting garcia a picture of these tattoos like they're gonna have any kind of useful quality and when you get them they are when we see them they are crystal crisp fucking clear like they weren't sent on a razor in the middle of the desert in 2007 okay but this is a fun jj garcia denelope episode they are really just like besties it is sleepover energy it is like dark sleepover energy It feels like our episode from season one, what was it, The Tribe, that had intense sleepover energy because that was with Sid. Yeah. I feel like this is their, this is their sleepover energy episode. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So they're in Garcia's office. 
um, Penelope is like putting the tattoos through like the database of I guess they catalog tattoos when you go to prison or something. Yes, they do. They um, use this yeah. a few times actually, and it is like a real thing that they do, especially with tattoos that are suspected to be sort of like gang affiliated, gang tattoos. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Garcia's doing that, and JJ is <laughs> pinning a map to Garcia's wall, um, and it's hilarious because she pokes too hard and Garcia goes ow stabby and JJ literally like makes a face like what the fuck like I have to stab your wall Garcia like <laughs> yeah uh, so they start talking about the bodies the JJ is like I'm gonna track along I-80 to see all the places where the bodies are once again JJ fucking figures everything out so does Penelope okay JJ's mapping the bodies Catherine Hale was last seen in Salt Lake City Utah found in Golconda Nevada the male body is Reno Rodriguez. Last seen in Salt Lake City, he jumped bail in February seven months ago, which would be um, not seven months ago because it's January. They got that wrong. The date is 0206, so February 06. But that was, in fact, like. But then they also mentioned. They also mentioned another five weeks in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he was picked up by cops five weeks ago. So, he so that makes sense, fail. but like the fact that they say that February is seven months ago. Yeah, they don't. Who cares? I mean, again, I think part of it is like, I'm pausing the screen, right? When yeah. you're watching this on television, like that's not what people are like. Yeah. Criminalized is not intended to be watched like I watch it. <laughs> so fine. It's fine. <laughs> We are objectively watching Criminal Minds the incorrect way. Incorrect. And having such a good time. Honestly, the best time. Okay. Okay, so both of them were taken in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, So the guy is traveling from east to west. And JJ goes, well, if he lives in Golconda, then, like, where is he coming from? He's always traveling east to west. Mm-hmm. Where is he coming from? So then Gideon, there's a lot of, like, one scene happens and then we cut to the other scene closing the phone with the new info or JJ will be like, I need to call Gideon. And then it'll cut to Gideon walking up to someone going, here's the new information. <laughs> so yeah. like, rarely get to see the actual phone calls. Um, so Gideon, they're talking about like, there's no connection between these victims. And then Gideon's like, there's one connection. And he looks over and it like zooms in on I-80. It's like zoom, zoom, zoom. Um, yeah, it's weird. Highway. Yeah. I-80 is also a little bit weird because it comes from Chicago and goes, I believe, to, like, San Francisco. Yeah, it does go through Golconda, because I look. It does. Oh, yeah, it does. It's just also, that's not, like, I don't know, it seems weird to me because that's, like, not the whole country. It's only, like, three-fourths. Because it goes Chicago to Sacramento, or to San Diego, when they're flashing missing people on the scene it is like missouri illinois like it is kind of centered to the west i mean they don't say he's crossing the whole country they say he's always traveling from east to west from east to west on iid which like yeah Yeah. sure fair everyone's getting picked up east of where they are dropped off so yeah it's just it's weird to me that i-80 is the one they chose when, yeah, like, I, you have 70, which goes across the middle of the whole country. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way that Route 66 goes from, like, 
Michigan to California. Like it's not the whole. Yeah, it's just a random highway. Yeah, it's I'm sure there was some logic to all of this, but oh, I can tell you exactly what it was. Um, basically, in the 30s, with the rise of automobiles and the um, not in the 30s, in the 50s, with the rise of automobiles and the post-war boom, a lot of people had more disposable income and were interested in taking road trips. So the government put in a bunch of money to build all of these routes, all these routes to, in the West, because that's where the land is. And that's why like Route 66 is famous for having all of these like places to take pictures and all these novelty hotels because there was this huge promotion to buy a car and spend your disposable income on travel in the West. And that's why you have all of these ones that are only like half of the country is purposefully like for this. Like I bet if you drove by 80, you'd come across a bunch of random shit and like highway, um, there's an extraterrestrial highway that actually goes through Nevada, which is why I think it's really interesting that they have her think he's an alien because she's like right in uh, alien country. Um, that's route like 456 or something. It goes right, goes north to south. Um, but like all along it, you'll find it goes past Area 51. All along it, you'll find kitschy little stuff. There's a restaurant called Little Ale Inn, but it's like alien, you know. So all those highways were purely for travel and to be gimmicky and to lead people out of big cities like Detroit, like Chicago, um, West. Okay. Just some fun facts for you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Highways are one of my special interests. No, it's okay. I just got like three hours of sleep last no, night. So okay. sometimes you just talk and things just wash over me and I'm like, I'm having a good time right now. Okay. Okay. I'm just I, having a good time. Just hanging out. I really like aliens and road trips. So like a story about a highway in Nevada is like right up my goddamn alley. Okay. So then it's now eight. It's now 3.08 PM. Okay. Nine minutes okay. have passed. All right. In theory. Uh-huh. Nine minutes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess we could be charitable and say eight minutes. Say we started at three o'clock. So everyone in the diner is leaving. Like they've been kicked out. And Derek asks the waitress, like, do you know anything about him? Does he come in a lot? And she's like, from time to time, uh, he only ever orders a strawberry milkshake. And then <laughs> it cuts back to Gideon. And he's like, this is a story that involves wind chimes, trailers, and alien abductions. Yeah. And Frank is like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm halfway through my milkshake. <laughs> and Frank goes, Gideon, do you think me insane? And Gideon, Gideon goes, do not play me. He is so very like, fuck you. Like, He's so mad. And this is why it's like every time they're like, we got you, Frank. We've thrown you off kilter. It's like, no, dude. Gideon is shook to his core right now. Again, this comes down to Keith Carradine's absolutely balls to the walls good performance as oh, Frank here. God. These two, Keith Carradine and Mandy Patinkin, 
be in something together again, please. I would love to see you two play this cat and mouse game forever. No, it's so good. And he's like, this is what Gideon says. You know what you are. You're like a sexual sadist. You get off on fear, blah, blah, blah. And then Derek says, you knew as soon as we got to town that there was no way out. 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 Is this yeah. the first time they say it this episode? Yeah, because I promise you I wrote it in caps every single time. <laughs> I was like, this is where I was like, oh, yeah, they said the name of the episode. And then by the third time, I was like, okay, we get it. Like, there was no way out. There is no way out. I think that's why they named the second half No Way Out 2. The evolution of Frank. (laughs) Literally, like, what? Like, why? Hey, Criminal Minds, why? (laughs) Yeah? Oh, no. (laughs) That just evolved into coughing. That's uh... funny. Uh, and Gideon's like, that's why you took her. But they don't say who yet. They never say who he takes until we see him take George. I think that's a really, really good choice. Me too. Because you don't know if it's always be trying Jane. To, you always think it's going to be Jane. But then later on when they're like, you took somebody of importance, then even in your own brain, you're like, is Jane that important to everybody? Yeah. Which makes you feel a little bit bad emotionally. And then you're like, oh, but I'm thinking as a serial killer. And then you feel a little bit less bad. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, projecting. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Like Jane, Jane, the way Jane is treated feels very real to a town like that. Yes, absolutely. Like, everyone is used to her. Everyone is like, that's just Jane. But also, like, no one is like, maybe you should go to therapy. They're just putting up with crazy Jane. What does she do for a living? How does she eat? Yeah, like, is she the only person on this town who's on state Medicaid? Like, what? Yeah. What is this? Is she usually more normal than this? But every time he comes to town, like, I would be so interested if, like, because we know he spends a month in Golconda every year. He spends one month in Golconda every year when he gets there. He empties his truck just before that, and then he goes to Golconda. So I think it would be so interesting if we found out that, like, the month he's there living in her barn, stalking her, leaving a wind chime, she, the, the crazy, picks up. And then when he leaves, she slowly calms and is almost, you know, quote unquote, like normal, quirky, but normal. And then he comes back and it, you know, like, I wonder if it's like a cyclical thing. They do not go into her mental state ever. She's just allowed to be like, I mean, they, they do a little bit and we'll get to it, but not really. Yeah. Not really. Um, all we know is that she was like a normal girl, a normal 19 year old quote-unquote normal 19-year-old, and then this. So Gideon says, right, that's why you took her because you knew there was no way out. And Frank says, you don't care about her. You've only ever cared about finding me. 
And Frank says that, like, I know you say you care about the victims, but you don't. Like, you just like the hunt of tracking down killers. And I don't fully disagree with that. But we know that Gideon, and we'll see this more in No Way Out to the Evolution of Frank, Gideon does keep track of all of his the people he's saved. He has a notebook, yes. he has pictures, so he does care about the victims for sure. But I do think that it's so hard not to spoil the second half of this. I do think that feeling smart and being good at his job is a huge part of it for him. And Frank bests him and he can't deal with that. Yeah, I also think it's weird. I don't know. Do you think it's weird that Gideon doesn't push back upon like Frank saying it's only the hunt that interests you? Like, do you think it's weird that Gideon doesn't mention the fact that he cares very deeply about the people he helps? I don't because I think Frank is doing this to get that response to waste time by making Gideon defend himself. And Gideon is like, one, we don't have time. Two, I don't owe you a defense. You're a serial killer. That's true. Why would I have to defend myself to you? You know? Yeah, fair. Okay. And we kind of, we'll get back to it at the end, but like when he gets there and Frank is about to leave and Frank tells him where the kids are, he says, actually, no deal. No deal. You're coming with me. Which can I just say that like if Frank... If he did say, you know what, leave the kids there, I'm taking Frank, I'm going back to town, and arresting him, once he got back to town, he would just, like, tell them where the kids are. Because he already knows. So, like, he really could have it both But how did he know where in the desert he was? Well, he drove them to the spot, and then Frank went, they're just over that ridge. So Gideon could be like, okay, come back with me, and then just retrace the route that the police. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird. It's a- or be like, or be like, take the helicopter east. That's the direction there. You know, like it's I don't know. It's weird because immediately after this, they like call helicopters to chase Frank West. So it's like, whatever. Okay, Derek is totally being ignored by Frank. Rude. Back to JJ and Garcia. Um, they're going through missing. This is where they're going through missing persons reports. Um, and Garcia's like, if all of these are him, it could be hundreds of people over the past 30 years. And they named some ta- cities. They named Sacramento, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Gary, Indiana. Um, then they get the coroner's report. And this is the worst news. Um, Spencer prints it out and says, it's the toxicology report, the preliminary toxicology report all of the people had ketamine in their system. It's a horse tranquilizer, and it's also a date rape drug. And the street term for it is being stuck in a K-hole. Is that any anything? I can't imagine it is, but I also don't want to Google it one way or the other to try and prove it wrong. Okay. Yes. Because I don't want to have the term K-hole in my Google search history. I've done it for you. All right. Thank you for making the sacrifice for us all, bestie. Yeah. You're so... 
you take a high enough dose. So it's a very, very high dose. So it's not, you don't just like take ketamine and then you're in a K-hole. It's a very high dose. Um, you can hallucinate, you can disassociate, you can feel euphoria, which I think is what happens to Jane. Um, but then you can become immobile, slow breathing, difficulty speaking, and you can feel like you're floating, which I think she also says. And it can lead to, oh, it can lead to psychosis and brain damage. So maybe it wasn't just, maybe it's maybe it's not just that, maybe it isn't just that Jane is using the alien idea as a way to dissociate from her trauma, but she might also have damage from gotten it. brain damage from it. Yeah. And like recently, ketamine's in a weird place. People do use it to treat depressive disorders. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is definitely bad. The K-hole. Great. Now I've Googled stuck in a K-hole. What to do if I'm stuck in a K-hole? Well, I wouldn't be able to type. Um, okay. And the worst part about all of this K-hole nonsense is the victims weren't just alive when he cut them up. They were conscious. Yikes. Yep, totally aware, unable to move. So they talk about how he needs to see the terror on their faces. Like that's what gets him off. And they don't talk about, do you think he rapes them? They don't talk about it, but they sure he does sure talk about being a sexual sadist a lot, doesn't he? And they keep saying you need the terror to get off. The fear is what gets you off. So I don't know if it's just like a while he's doing the cutting, he's that he jerks it. Yeah, or just like it makes him, you know, hands free. But I don't think there's no mention of him having sex with them. Yeah, and he does men and women, so you know, bisexual. King. bisexual king again <laughs> we are so conflicted so i am conflicted. so conflicted throwing up these double p signs while saying bisexual king and who says criminal mind doesn't have gay rap <laughs> that's my bad yeah i'm sorry Emily, a lesbian? No. Frank Breitkopf, by Yes. <laughs> there are actual tears in my eyes right now. <sighs> <laughs> See, the reason why they let the serial killer be be bisexual uh-huh. is because they're CBS and they hate gay people. They hate oh, queer people. So they were back. like, let's set gay rights back by making Frank queer. <laughs> they said, we're going to dress Emily and Spencer like the biggest city gays on the planet. And then we're going to do a uke. Frank is the bi. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I did do that while you were drinking. 
Mm-hmm. You sure did. You're welcome. I love you, bestie. Love you, bestie. Okay. Hotch says this killer has to have medical training or have had enough practice. I would guess it's the practice because he's killed like 100 people. Gideon says mid to late 50s. Emily says a truck or an RV, muted color, neither old nor new. Perfectly taken care of. Perfectly middle-aged. Perfectly middle-aged. What is that? I'm not a, I'm not a car gay. Um, I have no goddamn idea, dude. When does the car become old? When it is over 15 years old. Seems like a good 15 to 20 years old is when a car becomes old. So he's had his car probably between like three and 15 years. <laughs> he's had his car specifically for nine years. Okay. Perfect. Every nine years, he cycles to a brand new model of a car. Or wait, every six years, he cycles to a three years old car and then drives it for whatever. Okay. Derek says it's going to have a bunch of radios. It's going to have the police van. He's keeping track of what's happening. Um, his vehicle is going to be the killing room. It's going to be soundproof. It's going to have the tables. It's going to have the tools. All the killings are recorded or in a journal. So we're going to take a quick pause here so that I can talk to you about the toy box killer. Have you heard of him? I thought you were going to say to me, sorry, the way you started that sentence, you were like, I'm going to take a quick stop here and we're going to talk about journaling. And that's where I really <laughs> thought that sentence was going. I was like, oh, are you just going to teach me how to journal? All right, let me get my bullet journal out here. We can talk. Speaking of organized lists of how we dismember bodies, everyone take out your journal. <laughs> Speaking of or keeping yourself organized, this episode sponsored by Todoist. Use our code. <laughs> use Gosh. our code Wheels Up for thirty percent off the Todoist Pro plan. That's fake. We don't that's absolutely. That's very fake. If that is a joke. Although, us. if Todoist does want to sponsor us, sure. <laughs> Hit us up. Wheels Up at BrightCrownMedia.com. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Toy Box Killer. This is a real-life killer, so we do have to be a little serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the Turbox killer, his name was David Parker Ray. Um, He killed 60 women between Arizona and New Mexico. Yeah. He would kidnap five... So quite a lot. Yeah. He would kidnap between five and six women a year and hold them captive for around three to four months. Um, The reason he's called the Toy Box Killer is because he used a truck as the site of torture and things. Um, there's one thing that's wild that I will tell you off the air because it's definitely not safe for podcast, but it's wild. Um, but he would put them on like an operating table with a mirror mounted to the ceiling and he would drug them with barbiturates to erase their memories and keep them from being able to move. Um, his was more, um, they didn't all die. Some of them lived. He would just like erase their memories, basically, or try mm-hmm. to. But they had like such extensive in- injuries that many of them um, passed away. Passed away. Uh, and he would leave them on the side of the road. And um, the re- he says that he wanted his victims to see everything he was doing to them. And he also kept video recordings of all of them 
and then and he was so he was convicted of kidnapping and torture in 2001 and he died a year later so it's very topical oh because um, this was like right th- okay this would have been filmed in 2006 so three four years later yeah yeah so it's topical um there are some differences like the toy box killer uh he had girlfriends and often the girlfriends would help him do this stuff Mm. yeah and he would also like have his friends come and participate so like that's something that's different but everything else like the truck the drugs the arizona new mexico area the mirror above the ceiling the you know the table the making people watch the recording all of that is very similar to frank Hmm. so i think it's definitely like it would be hard to say it wasn't modeled after that you know they don't say it and i couldn't find the truth like it wasn't in trivia i just know a lot about true crime so i was like oh yeah this sometimes you can very much tell in criminal minds when they are basing a killer off of a real life person you can very much Mm -hmm. tell i don't know what it is about the vibes but you can tell yeah i also like again i've listened to so much true crime and like watched so many documentaries and shit that like i watched this episode and i was just like oh hey he's the toy box killer like Hmm. they just like made it a tv show story instead of like the real life so then okay back to the diner Gideon is like, you're a killing machine, you have no remorse, passion, and you are incapable of love. And this is when Frank has a little, like, he was, like, drinking, and then when Gideon said love, he, like, stopped drinking. And that's like, ooh, you got to him, Gideon. Uh, Gideon pours all the extra milkshake, and Derek is like, he got you. <laughs> all shook up now. And Derek's, then- like, hyping up Gideon like <laughs> it's a fucking high school fight. I'm I like, love it. okay, yeah, let's go. Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Uh, so then Frank says, and put a pin in this, beauty can cover a multitude of sins, but underneath, we all look exactly the same. Huh. Put a pin in that. All right. I have pinned it. Great. See you in seven episodes. Okay. Um, and then Derek is like, shut up. I know what gets you off. Fear. And Derek is so mad, like, you know when you clench your jaw and like your forehead twitches, your temples twitch? Yeah. Derek's face is fucking tick, 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 tick. Yeah. Because he's like so. Unclench that jaw, Bestie. It's not good for you. Don't grind those teeth. <laughs> Don't grind those beautiful teeth, baby. Cut back, flashback, back to the police station. They set up Deputy Silo is setting up roadblocks on each road in and out of town. We're going to make sure there's no way. Oh, that's number two. Give it up for number two. (laughs) I feel like it's like that one fucking like Krusty Krab meme where they've like opened 24 hours and it's like that one Mr. Krabs where he's like day 15. Give it up for day 15. I feel like that's every time me, every time Uh. they uh, say no way out. (laughs) Uh, and then Gideon goes to George and is like, what's up? You look weird. And she's like, the profile is so familiar. It reminds me of a story I've heard. They go to Jane. She's still in the prison. It is the same day. It has not been nighttime yet. We are still the 16th. George, Emily, Spencer, and Gideon go to the prison. Jane is like, George, don't make me go home. And George is like, no, I won't. 
can you just like tell these people the story of what happened to you? And Jane is worried they're going to make fun of her. To be fair, Spencer Reed did call her a psycho with a whistle earlier. And she does, he does make a very rude face at the end of this. Spencer, come on. Spencer. Come on. This is, this is a weird Spencer up. Yeah, like really, he's just out of it. Like, this is before he starts going through trauma Mm -hmm. after trauma after trauma. Yeah, next episode. We are literally getting into next episode. Yeah. So, like, it's so weird to me that he's just kind of like a shit guy in this app. Yeah, like, I might cut this out, but he has a real problem with this throughout the show where, like, unless it is something that he can relate to directly or that it affects him directly, he's pretty unsympathetic. He is weirdly unsympathetic sometimes. Yeah, and like, even when I feel like he should be sympathetic, like this episode, this is a woman. This is a prime Spencer sympathy place. And yeah, he just and doesn't. It's so interesting to me. Two things. One, Emily is the one who is so patient with her, talking to her. Like, Emily is the one who befriends her. But then, in No Way Out 2, The Evolution of Frank, Emily is still the one kind of, like, talking to her, but she's like, I need Gideon. I need Gideon. And it's so weird because Emily is, like, the only one that talks to her. And they, for some reason, Jane is fixated on Gideon. But I wonder if part of it is, like, they didn't want to make yet another read deals with mental illness episode. But they didn't have to make him an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Like... You didn't have to make him, like, the main character of this one, but you also, like, didn't have to make him a fucking dick. That's my yeah. boy. That's my early season boy. That's my little boy. Is this where I start disliking Spencer Reed? It's so early still. I know. I'm oh. like, I like early season Spencer Reed, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, so Jane is really worried the FBI is going to make fun of them, make fun of her. So Emily sits down next to her and is like, tell me about your whistle and jane says it was a gift and emily goes what happened to you (laughs) not the most tactful way to put it but a very emily way of putting it i think actually emily is very just like off her like being sympathetic game this episode like she's also She's like, I think she's trying, but she also feels a bit out of her depth here, which is why she's yeah. just like, hey, what's going on? So what, like, happened what happened to you? you? <laughs> like, it's but like, very even later, even later, direct, yeah. but it works for her, I think. It works in this time. I don't think, in this time, I don't think anyone has ever just been like, yo, Jane, like, what happened what's to happened you? What's happened to you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody ever really asked. But later, Jane is fully, like, in the psychosis, in the belief that he, that Frank is, like, special and all that. And Emily just, like, literally grabs her shoulder and goes, he is not an alien. He is a serial killer. He will kill you. Snap out of it, woman. She's like, snap out of it. Like, Emily, that's not how you talk to someone in a psychosis. Whatever. I guess they didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. She was a little, there was a lot going on at that moment. a lot happening. Yeah, okay. So, we tell 
Jane looks at George, who is like, go ahead, tell him. So, Jane's cardboard count. I love the way Jane tells stories. She does it again in the second part. Um, she's like, my car broke down. And this was before cell phones, you know. So I tried to fix it myself. Uh, and then she says there's big lights and a presence. And then she could, like, she was in a spaceship. She could see herself. Time was suspended. There were all these maps on the walls, like maps and diagrams. It was very cold. And then the alien, he did things to me. He touched her softly. He stroked her hair. He drew the lines. And the whole time he was smiling. And then she looked in his eyes and she felt no fear. And he dropped the knife. And then she woke up the next morning in her own bed. And that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Which is like rough. Um, And we see the delusion or we see her memory of it. Um, while she's telling the story and we can we can see that they're truck lights and he's just like coming through the lights and we can see she's on like an operating table she can see herself we see like the lines of the mirrors and the maps are anatomical drawings and the diagrams and the stars are like one of those dotted tool hanging boards and oh it's really sad and then Gideon's like do you still see him and she's like I see him every time I close my eyes and they're like Okay, well, that's what we're getting out of you. Reed guesses the maps are anatomical. The mirrored ceilings are so that they can see themselves. And Gideon says, like, she made this delusion to protect herself. Yes. And George is like, but why did why is she still alive? Like, he kills people. Why is she alive? And Emily is like, she didn't give him what he wanted. She wasn't scared of him. I don't know if they say it in this episode. But I think they do the next one. She's his first victim. Oh, she's his first? It was 30 years ago. Oh, I didn't yeah. really catch that. I thought she was, I mean, like an early one. I didn't think she was like his no, first. No, I think they must say it next ep- the next time, but yeah. I'm pretty sure she's his first victim. Uh, and that's why he's so fixated on her. Like, not only was she the first, but she wasn't scared of him. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So then they go back to the diner. Here's something else to put a pin in. Frank says, you know, I read about a woman whose body was found in her apartment in the Upper East Side, New York. She committed suicide. Her body wasn't found for more than a year. She was surrounded by over a million people and no one missed her. What does that say about society? Put a pin in that. We live in a society. We do live in a society. We live in a society. And is Frank the Joker of Criminal Minds? Think about it. Anyway. No. If he was, he'd be, like, killing people in apartment buildings. <laughs> I'm making a riff off the Joker's We Live in a Society line. Yeah, and I'm not letting you. I like that I let you make your little jokes, and then when I try and make a joke, you're like, absolutely not! No, I not actually... today! I didn't, I didn't get it. Is that line from the Joker? You yes. live in a society? Yeah, it's... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't know that. That's my bad. Your joke was good. I'm sure someone laughed. It's yeah. funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> just Reference sadly, humor. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. All right. Okay. Gonna... She died and no one knew for more than a year, which wouldn't happen because she definitely, she lived in the Upper East Side. She wasn't paying rent. Also, also that smelled it, really bad. I was going to say, also the smell. What are you talking about? But we know that he lies about 
the person this is about a lot. So, yeah, I was being on purpose. Uh, yeah, so he says, but it's not say about society. And Gideon goes, well, it makes me feel sad. You makes you feel nothing, asshole. Like, <laughs> stop it. So funny. I really feel like Frank is, like, he is trying to distract Gideon, but he's also seeing, like, how much he can fool Gideon. Because, you know, one of the big things about psychopaths is that they can mirror really well and they, like, learn how they're supposed to feel or supposed to react in a situation. So he's probably, like, mirroring Gideon's smug authority and, like, trying to see how much he can play Gideon. And Gideon falls for none of it, which I think is, like, why Frank ends up becoming obsessed with Gideon. Is like, he's using all his tactics. You know, and in the moment, he's winning because we don't know about the kids. But Gideon's the first one who's ever, I think, not fallen for Frank's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then Gideon's like, you've never taken someone important. Last night you took somebody important. And then the door banged open. And this guy named Mark comes running in with a shotgun. And Derek points his gun at him. Frank's like super fucking chill. And Mark's all like, where's my wife? Where's my wife? Um, wait. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a flashback. I was like, did I skip something? <laughs> no, we're just having flashbacks. Um, he's like, where's my wife? Where's my wife? And then Frank like lifts up the bag. And he's like, here's the question. What's the psychopath got in the bag? It's like, there's a better question you could be asking, Kimir. It's like, all right. Yeah, and then Gideon is like, Mark, if you give up your gun, we'll let you look in the bag. Um, So this is a reference, obviously, to Seven, the movie Seven. Do you know the meat? Oh, yeah! What's in the box? What's in the box? And it's um, his wife's head in the in the movie Seven, it is his wife's head. In this episode, it's not. It's no one we recognize. Um, and then Mark is like, you son of a bitch. And Frank goes, we are all sons of bitches. <laughs> the way he, the gravitas with which he says that line. Oh, Shakespeare. Shakespeare I, is quaking because wrote, of that line. I wrote sick burn, dude. We are all sons of bitches. No, wait till we learn about his fucking mommy issues. I like how they're just like, we will sprinkle in the fact that he has mommy issues before adding a dash or two of extra murder. Yeah. I think at this point we're supposed to think that he just like hates women. We are all sons of bitches, really, truly, in our hearts. It's just... Aren't we all sons of bitches? Aren't we all... And then Gideon's like, whose head is that? And Frank's like, it doesn't matter. It's my ticket out of here. <laughs> and they just like, let you go. Yeah. Oh, you know, here's why I also think it's the bus driver. He says, this head is my ticket out of here. Because he had to kill the bus driver to get the kids. <sighs> yeah. yeah. And then Frank is so smug. And he's like, hey, Gideon, finish the story. Back to the past. Yeah. They're like, we put out a nationwide, (laughs) we put out a nationwide APB. He's got no way out. 
No Way Out. Let's give it up for No Way Out number three. Bow, bow. <laughs> I just like choked. <laughs> I'm sorry, throw. Wow. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I guess we'll do a, do a slightly more like subdued. <laughs> Target. Okay. The team splits up to go find the guy. This is so funny. They're all like standing in a circle, and then everyone but Gideon does like a 180 and just sets off in a direction, and Gideon stays standing there in the middle of the RV park. I like took a screenshot. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Very much giving us like student film project realness right there. I keep forgetting, here's the thing. I keep forgetting that until Gideon leaves, this show is about him. Yeah. I think about so little when I think about Criminal Minds that I forget he's the main character. And then when he leaves, it becomes an ensemble. And I just like, I do forget that. And then I like watch scenes like this and I'm like, okay, where are they going? What are we, okay. <laughs> um, we have a montage of Derek by himself knocking on doors and I was like why are we letting the black guy walk around alone in this part of America and then Emily Reed are walking around talking to people looking gay as shit nothing from anyone they get nothing Gideon's with Hotch and George and Rick are a team and then they're like why would he even still be here we know he came here to drop off the body but like why would he still be here and then they do the thing where they jump between conversations to f- have one conversation, which was like fun. And then Reed says, Reed says the way to get away with murder is to simply not tell anyone. Objectively true. I, I don't know how it relates yes. here. Well, and then she's like, the only person he told were his victims. And then he killed him. That was Emily's response to that. I was like, okay, gays. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, stop talking in fucking riddles. What is this? <laughs> I was like, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then Reed's like, I'm going to call Garcia to see if he used any of, like, the money or the cards. Because Emily mentions that he, like, took their phones and stuff. Um, and then Garcia says, it's almost like he's purging his vehicle before getting to Golconda. And JJ goes, yeah, he's always traveling east to west at the same time of the year. Last year, the remains were found at the same time. And then there was a month off from bodies being found. He takes a little vacay. A little vacay in Golconda. Just a little vacay. A little vacation in Golconda. <laughs> so they were like, okay, so then where's his RV? Because that's what we've been doing all day. And then Reed's like, what if it's a trailer? He could unhook it and move about freely. And Emily's like, okay, but it's going to be the same. It's, I'm still right. It's still muted in color and American made. Right. <laughs> so true, Queen. You're getting your bonus points for this app, girl. Yeah. I think, you know what? Here's a question for you. Okay. I thought Frank was implied to be a trucker. But his trailer is one of those like metal bullet living out of trailers and his truck is a pickup truck so what's his 
It's his job. He kills and then he takes their money. He can't possibly be living off of that. That's a good fucking question. Because I also thought maybe I got I think I got this mixed up with another ep- trucker episode we have later mm-hmm. um, where he fashioned part of his truck into a little murder cabin. Yeah, I thought that's what Frank did as well. But no, you're right. His because they go into it and it's one of those like bullet campers. Yeah, those like metal campers. And then when we see it, they find his truck in the center of town. It's a pickup. Like they keep saying truck, unhitch the trailer, etc. But he's just like a dude with a pickup and a mobile home on the back. The same way we have no, like what does Jane do with her time? How did she afford a house? I mean, it was probably, you know, abandoned and cheap as shit, but that doesn't change the fact that she was, Nine. I mean, I would assume it was her parents because she went "quote unquote" crazy when she was nineteen. So she they probably moved like back home the and they died. Yeah. So maybe her parents were taking care of her and they died recently. Keep up with the payments and everything. Well, her parents probably bought it. That's fair. Owned but it, like, but also electricity like and stuff. He lives in the barn every time he comes to visit. Like, has he been doing that even if her parents were there? Ah. Uh, these are like not questions that need to be answered, but the questions that I want the answer to. Where's my Frank and Jane spinoff? Oh, God. <laughs> I love Keith Carradine in this episode. I don't think I can handle much more of Frank. Yeah. It's just like Breaking Bad, but it's Frank and Jane. Franking Bad. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> Clear the air after that stinker for Franking sure. Bad. That's the joke I thought you were trying to make when you said Breaking Bad. Sorry. I know I just meant they were like in a trailer in the desert. I did. Franking Bad. I'm sorry. Okay. This is, I'm not going to lie to you, not my best work. On an episode, I'm, I'm just going to be very honest with you and upfront. Very tired. This is not my best work. This is... That's the sleepover energy. It's okay. the sleepover energy, dude. Okay. Emily's like, I'm still right. <laughs> Muted car, American made. And Reed's like, let's get Gideon before dark and we'll tell him about the truck and that the man is still in town. And then it cuts to Gideon walking along the highway to George being like, he's still in town. We gotta find a trailer. Like, that conversation happened, but yeah. we, it's okay. Um, and then George is like, we gotta rest. Like, you said he doesn't take people while he's in Golconda, so, like, let's go home. My men need rest. It can wait till first light. And Derek's like, yeah, Gideon, it can wait until first light. And Gideon's like, fuck off! And just storms away. And Hotch is like, let your men rest. It's all talk to him. <laughs> oh, yeah, JJ looks so good this episode. It is the weird sweater cowl thing. She's got the big neck with the sweater. Um, but they do like a a feet to face pan of her and um she looks good, but also like for what? They love AJ Cook's legs in this show. 
They, I, this shot, do you remember in like... Yep, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what, other, what I'm talking <laughs> about, where it was very noir styled. They Let's love get this work. bitch's legs. I and literally like, like, I made a gif of this so that I can compare it to... To that one? <laughs> to that moment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get to work. <laughs> yes, bitch. <laughs> okay, so JJ's like stomping her weight on the hallway. She wakes Penelope up, who was sleeping with a little toy clutched to her chest. Adorable. JJ's like, <laughs> JJ's talking and Garcia's like trying to find her glasses. And the JJ just finally goes, what is, and just hands her the glasses. And Garcia glares at her. Like, you know so how cute. when you wake up and you don't have your glasses on and none of your senses work right because yeah. you don't have your glasses on? Like they're talking to you so fast and you don't have your glasses and you're just like, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, JJ's like, what is wrong with you? Uh, but then Gustav feels very much back. like Velma from Scooby Doo in those moments where I'm when like, I'm my glasses, my glasses, I need to find my glasses. JJ's like, I've been going over the tip line for hours. There was an anonymous caller that said they saw a matching RV, like an RV that matches the description, leaving Golconda. And JJ goes, but no one has left. And why call anonymously? So Garcia traces the number and it's Catherine Hale's number. And it came from Golconda. And JJ's wow. like, wow. And JJ's like, he could have kept on going. And we never would have caught him. And Penelope's like, whatever's in Golconda must be special. And then it cuts to George walking into the house. And you're like, oh, someone of importance. Okay. But then George is like, make yourself at home. Mark's out of town. He's staying with his mother. Um, and she's playing her phone messages. And it's like so cute. Also, she yeah. has like an open picture of grape juice in her fridge. But I guess she has kids. I just... Grape juice? I guess kids drink grape, grape juice. Grape juice, I guess. That's I a kid's thing. I Actually, you know what? I used to drink... No, I drink apple juice. Okay, whatever. Not a big deal. Uh, but she drops it on the floor. Because, okay, so she's playing the phone messages and it's adorable. And Jane's like, he must really love you. And she's like, yeah, he does. And she's like bending in the fridge, into the fridge. And Jane's like, is he good to you? And she's like, yeah. And then she stands up and shuts the door and drops the picture because Jane is two fucking inches from her face. And yeah. Jane just goes, he's here, George. And you're like, okay, poltergeist reference, right? Uh, they're here. Uh, Frank is in the house. And he's like, Jane, Jane. And George like puts Jane behind her. But Jane is like, oh, he's, he's hotter than I remember him being. <laughs> and then Frank like tries to get Jane. Frank stabs George with a ketamine syringe and tells Jane. And George is like, run. So Jane runs and Frank follows. Uh, and then you, okay. You can hear on the phone messages as she's laying there, her son go, I love you, mommy. Good night, mommy. Bye. I know. I know. I know. Good God. I know. And then we see, like, we see Frank, like, laying down in the darkness. And, like, you see Frank, like, hovering over. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, but it's actually a mix of George and the school teacher, whose name I think is Anna. Okay. The time is now 3.12 p.m. <laughs> on January 17th, 2007. <laughs> the pettiness minutes. with which you say 
The time is currently 3.12 p.m. <laughs> and um, Frank looks at the clock and Derek is like, Gideon, <laughs> he keeps looking at the clock. And Gideon He's is very like, much playing like the annoyed younger brother, like, Gideon, he keeps looking at the clock all weird. <laughs> Derek is like, something is fucking up with this fucking clock. Something's going on. And Gideon is like, whatever's happening is coming to this diner. And Frank's like, hmm, I'm almost done with my milkshake. Okay. Everyone gets to George's house. Everyone goes to George's house. There's spilled grape juice on the floor. And Rick goes to pick something up, or the picture up. And Derek's like, don't touch it. We got to profile the room. And the deputy is like, profile, profile the room? Why would they take George? You said this. You said they weren't going to take anyone. And now they've got George. And I'm angry. And so they're like, why did he take George? Um, <laughs> they're like, good question, angry good question, man. sir. And they're <laughs> like, she came in. She hung her belt up. She did this, she did that. There's no change. And she left her gun on the floor. You know, she wouldn't have um, gone out without her gun, given chase without a gun. Reed sees the syringe of ketamine and holds it up. And then we figure out that Jane was with her. Um, he was actually after Jane. And then they call her Crazy Jane. And Emily is like, he took Crazy Jane. And I was like, they're all saying it like that's her, her like God given Christian name. First name crazy, middle name Jane. Like, crazy Jane. Yeah. It's like when your relatives, this might be a very specific Midwestern it. thing, but when my, I have like an aunt who would always sort of like jokingly call me Bailey Lou. Um, not my, my middle mom, name. My mom used to call me Emmy Lou. Oh my God. This feels like they're doing that, but with Crazy Jane. That's Crazy Jane. So they were like, okay, well, Jane escaped. So he took George instead. And they're like, that means he'll eventually contact us. So then it cuts to Catherine Hale's cell phone being turned back on. And this time Garcia wakes up JJ and it's like, JJ, wake up. And JJ's like, huh? And like picks up, okay, I liked this detail. She has a mug of tea. And there's like so much lipstick around the rim. You can tell she's just been filling and drinking and filling and drinking, you know, until her lipstick yeah. is like worn off. And I love it. So then she calls Hotch. And then Hotch hangs up the phone and he goes, the call was coming from the center of town. So Gideon, Derek, and the police find a truck with the open phone there and the police band radio. Hotch, Emily, and Spencer, and the police go to Jane's house. And we see all of the fuck rib wind chimes the fucking rib wind chimes i know this was really interesting to me because while they're while emily and reed are talking to people right before they run off back to gideon emily like looks over and like sees a wind chime blowing in the wind and like looks at it like huh even though there's been no mention of wind chimes they added a little extra like emily's got that sixth sense yeah. It's going to be something about wind chimes. And then when they're on the, they get up on the porch and Emily looks at the wind chimes and is like, guys, it's fucking rib bones. And everyone's like, oh no. What if Emily like was really into wind chimes and she was just like, oh, that one's nice. And then she gets on the porch. And she's like, oh, wind chimes. Oh my God. 
Good God. Good God, that's people. And then we go back to the center of town and the deputy is super angry and he's like ready to go in with the gun. And the BAU is like, calm down, calm down. And then Gideon and Derek walk into the diner and we have caught up with the beginning of the flashback. It is a weird choice to catch up with yourself in the episode when there's still like 15 minutes left. Yeah. It's a weird choice pacing wise. It's weird to have like an entirely flashback type episode. But you know they're going to catch up at some point. And it's stuff like, oh, you took somebody important. And we haven't seen that yet. So we're like, oh, that's coming. And then that one guy is like, you took my wife. And you're like, oh, who do you take? Does and Crazy then, Jane have a husband? And you were like, yeah. okay, weird. All right. Weird. And the next scene is George getting taken. So we catch up with ourselves. So like right when they go into the diner, everyone else is collecting bones. Okay, so at three o'clock, Spencer and Emily and Hotch and the police are collecting bones. And Frank's like, it's his version of romance. And Emily's like, you think he was in love with Jane? And and Hotch goes, well, to find love. And Spencer goes, okay. And just starts talking about chemicals. And Emily's like, dopamine's also in. And Emily goes, chocolate. And Reed goes, and peas. And Emily's like, peas? And then Spencer starts like explaining it. It's really cute. And Derek is like, children, or Hotch is like, children, please. Please, children. <laughs> Hotch is like, come on, focus. Okay. It is if- such a weird pacing choice to catch up with yourself. Because they've made some choices this episode that I think are generally pretty good pacing choices. They omit some phone calls where one person would just be relaying information to the other. They sort of like cut it together so that two conversations are happening at the same time that come to the same conclusion. That's like a good, generally good pacing choice. But then they catch up with themselves. I think I think what makes it really weird is they don't catch up with themselves and then just keep moving forward. They catch up with themselves and then they still have to show them finding George and then they can continue on. You know, like... Oh, yeah. So technically, when we when they circle back around, mm-hmm. the first part of the episode... When they circle, when we circle back around to Gideon and Derek in the diner, that is when they are finding Bone Chimes and George. Yes. And then they burst into the diner and then we are all caught up. Yeah. So when they walk into the diner, we're not actually all caught up yet. So while this whole conversation between Gideon and Frank is happening, they are finding George. So Gideon is like, where is she? We need to find her while she's being found. He just doesn't know it. Because he's talking to Frank. So the actual catching up is when they take Frank out of the diner. That's the actual catching up. Or like when when the car with Jane pulls in. It's right after the scene. We're almost It's like, yeah. It's just such a weird choice. Yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have skipped Frank and, or, Gideon and Derek walking into the diner as part of the flashback. 
I would have gone like have Gideon and Derek be like, we're going to go talk to him and head towards the diner and then have all of this stuff and follow Hotch, Emily and Spencer arriving. And then they come out of the diner and you're like, oh, things have occurred. Yeah. Like if we had seen like maybe like Emily, Spencer and Derek pull up with the car while Mark is inside with the gun. And then when he leaves the diner, there's George. So he was like one second away from George being there before he went in. You know, like some sort of like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird because we never see into the diner from the outside. It's because they weren't filming on location. <laughs> well, I mean, they show the outside a little bit, but like. Ugh. Yeah. I just. It's weird. It almost feels. Hear me out. It almost feels like No Way Out and No Way Out Part 2 Dance Dance Evolution are, it almost feels like they are supposed to be a three-episode series. They're almost supposed to be a triptych in my mind. It feels like they needed more time on this first one so that the wraparound point that happens, it feels like that should be like the end of one episode or something. It feels like there needs to be something. It feels like this is, Obviously, this is setting up a part two later on down the line, right? We know that. They know that at this point in time. But it feels like it's there's something with the pacing that makes me think they originally planned this episode, No Way Out, the first one, to be like two episodes. You know, I was just thinking, I wonder if one of the reasons they do this is so we can't ever, we can't follow the timeline. We have a hard time between like what's happening now and what's happening then. It's all happening at once. And then surprise, the kids are gone. So that we also feel like, when would he have done that? He was with us the whole time. Because that's part of the thing is like, he's sitting there for 25 minutes and the kids are missing. But when we watch it, he's there for 40 minutes, right? The episode is 40 minutes Mm -hmm. long. So when they say, during everything you were watching, while he was sitting right there, he did all of this. I think it's supposed to make that magic trick big more because also a lot of times we'll see the killer. We'll meet him once. We'll talk to him once. And then, but no, we genuinely don't know who Frank is until he shows up, right? He's missing for most of the episode, but because they cut it like this, it feels like he is there with us the whole time. So when would he have had time to go do this? And I think it makes it feel more like a magic trick. Because if they didn't have this, you'd have an entirely Frankless episode until the diner. So it would have been like, oh, while he was off screen, he went and he did this. Whereas like this, because we keep cutting back to him, we feel like he's there the whole Uh episode. So when this magic happens and somebody, like, when the fuck did he get the children? Yeah. He he was sitting here this whole time. You know what I mean? I feel like if it was supposed to play with our perception of time... Yeah, I think that also makes sense. There's just something about the the cutting of this episode that feels so weird and that like wraparound point feels awkward. It also feels like there's no real like, the scene with Mark and the head and all of that is a ramp up intention. And then it just cuts to them collecting wind chimes. (laughs) You know, it's like, 
it's weird that they like Poking they around. just sweep the knees out of the tension and then we find george so like okay we have george and then we go back okay we have jane and it's like you think everything's gonna be wrapped up and then he has to like let them it's just it's weird that i, I don't like that's what i was saying like this particular like the george thing this scene the like five george, minutes here yeah just like sweeps the energy out of it it is weird or i mean I, I get what they're going for like so we've seen he so he had the body right we see that um he's has the head we know he's taken george uh they get the bones and i think we're it's supposed to be like we see the truck and we're like oh shit like the, yeah this guy's been hyped up the whole time but it's like when jane tells her story we get the description of the mirror. They were awake but sedated. He like wants to watch the fear. Like we get that, but I feel like they feel the need to show us the trailer to really hammer home how evil he is. But I feel like we didn't need that. Like we get it. Just talking to him and then to hear Jane's story, like we fucking get it. But I think they wanted to show us and that just kind of like swept the legs out from under it. I don't know. Yeah, it's just. It's odd. It's a weird choice. Yeah, I think they wanted to mess with the perception of time. But I think this final scene just like took the energy out of it. Okay. I think you're right in that they have had, if they had waited to reconnect back up timeline wise, like getting to the point where Gideon walks into the diner was a bad choice. Mm -hmm. We should have just gone over to the others until they come out of the diner. And then you realize we're sort of like back in yeah. time. That I think would have been much better than having yeah. that we sort didn't of need rehash that of Derek walking in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cool. Thanks for the flashback to 12 minutes ago. Literally. Like, yeah. Okay. Thanks for the flashback to the beginning of the episode. Weird. Thanks. Yeah. Um, they did film it from a different angle, though, which I liked. Like when we walk into the beginning, they follow Gideon. Yeah. Whereas this time they show him walking in, um, which I was like, that's a nice little touch. But anyway, Hotch sees a barn behind Jane's house. They go into it. It's huge and it's empty. Behind it is the bullet trailer. They go inside. <laughs> Spencer looks like he's going to vomit. Yeah. Like Spencer is fully like, holy fucking shit. Uh, and Emily's like, there's the mirror, there's the diagrams, that must be the table. Emily's like, I've seen some shit. Um, yeah. And then Hotch is like, just when you think you've seen everything. But there's blood on the table, so you're like, uh-oh. Uh, and then Reed points out a coffin, and they open it, and it's like some dead girl. <laughs> we find it's, out that it is the school teacher, but like... The teacher, yeah. It's, it's just, it's not George, right? Um, and then they open the other coffin, and George is fine. Which I was like, okay. Thanks, I guess. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad, but like, okay. Happy for so then her. We go, yeah, good for her. Good for Mark. Uh, we go back to the diner. Frank sips up the last of his milkshake. Frank says, one is perfection. Two is decadence. Hmm. <laughs> Gideon's like, what did Jane say to you? Like, just looking in your eyes wouldn't have been enough. Like, what did she say? And Frank's like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
And then Derek like hangs up his phone. And he's like, they found the trailer, a dead woman and the sheriff. And Frank is like, Jane said how beautiful my eyes were. And my hands started sweating and I dropped my knife and I couldn't pick it up. I just kept dropping it. And I felt butterflies like, isn't that love? The deputy bursts in and goes, all right, your time is up. And then a bunch of phones start ringing and it cuts to the clock. I love when they do the phones all ringing in unison. How many people are calling them? How There are like 12 you people know in the why? Are there 12 people calling them? What's going on? I bet it's, but the thing is, you know what it probably is? It's probably like it's, their police dispatch line or whatever. No, I was going to say it's probably their wives being like, our kids are fucking missing. Oh, fair, true. You know, because this this looks like all the men in the town on the police force. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so a bunch of phones start ringing. Uh, you know what time it is? Phone time. 3, 325. 325. 325. It's not 315. No, it has been 25 minutes. It's not cool. 315. I wonder if they kept saying 15 minutes and then they realized it would take more than 15 minutes for... Emily, Spencer, and Hodge to get to Jane's house, find the bones, bag the bones, go through the farm, go through the trailer, get George, bring George back. It's still like, a pretty effective 25 minutes. That's a that's a, that's a tight 25 right there. <laughs> that is a toy But didn't 25. they start before Frank sits down in the diner? Didn't they start doing that slightly before, or uh, a few minutes before Gideon and... Sure. Uh, they they split Derek. at the police station. Yeah, so maybe, maybe they had 45 minutes still. Still a tight 45. Still a tight 45. Because they, Hotch has to pick George up out of that coffin. But when she gets out of the car, she's walking just fine. So clearly, like, some time has happened. passed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the deputy, Deputy Rick, answers the phone and goes, No. That's impossible. And Gideon at this point has his hands like fisted in Frank's shirt. And Frank just looks up at him and goes, magic time. And then it zooms in on Gideon. Blackout. I'm shocked we didn't get like an abracadabra or something. How about a good be? How about a good be? You know, I made fun of you for dating the podcast because of TikTok noises and I just did it. I know you're not on TikTok. Have you seen Harry we Potter? Can... Yes. We can you know, date we... the podcast even further. We're recording this on fucking May 2nd, the day before my birthday. Bestie. Bestie, what the fuck? Happy birthday. Uh, we, can, we can hardcore date this podcast. Okay. Blackout. Avada Kedavra. <laughs> I mean, also... Us dating it by saying a joke from the Bad Wizard movie is like, those came out like 10 no, years ago. No, the joke is a TikTok where people will grab like really tiny things and then just go, with anything they pick up. Okay. Back to the diner. Diner. Ev- everyone's milling around. Everybody's having a pretty bad time. They're outside and they're scared. Hot Reed and Emily come back in their SUV. And they got George. She's got a blanket. Squishes. Uh, Mark hugs her. It's cozy. It's cozy. And George says, um, they killed Tommy's teacher, Annie. So that was the other dead woman. Mark is like, I have to tell you, the school bus was found empty just out of town. And George is like, oh my God, Tommy. And Mark's like, don't worry, Tommy's with my mom. 
So like last night, Mark took Tommy, George's husband took George's son to visit Mark's parents. Mm-hmm. And I guess because George got kidnapped like in the middle of the night. So I'm guessing that Mark came back and left the son with his mother, um, which is smart. So he missed this field trip. Okay. But also, like, if you know there's a serial killer in your town, like, cancel the field trip. But also, he hasn't, like, targeted kids. Yeah, I guess. But if I were a parent, I'd be like, nah. Like, we are staying in the house. Um. Okay. Oh, but the school bus driver is dead. So we find that out. So that head was the bus driver. Oh, yeah. Bus was abandoned just outside of town. And then George goes, but we were watching the whole town. There was no way out. Give it up for no way out number four? And Spencer goes, what was the one thing they weren't looking for? A school bus. And then Gideon is like, you took the kids. And Frank's like, just the little ones. Uh, Frank's like, Gideon, you've been studying me for 30 years. You know I wouldn't hurt them. What do I get from it? That's hard. Wow, I wouldn't do that, Gideon. That's mean of you. And then Deputy Silo is like, I'm going to search the desert. Let's get helicopters. And Frank goes, the desert's over 25,000 square miles. You'll never find them before they die of the elements or the rising coyote population that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I love when they do a cheeky little checkoffs. Just a yeah. cheeky little checkoffs. Cheeky little checkoffs. And it's funny because they already kind of closed the mention because they were like, that's why he dumps the bodies here, the coyotes. But also, think about it like this. He dumped those two bodies, which would attract the coyotes for when the next day he put a bunch of kids out there. Not that he knew the being was coming, but whatever. Okay. Frank is like, give me Jane. And Gideon's like, I don't have Jane. And Frank is like, you've got Jane. Which is, uh, put a pin in it. A new a new cop car just like arrives. The one cop who wasn't <laughs> The here. one who wasn't. <laughs> the one who like wasn't around. And he's got Jane. She was wandering around. Literally, he's like, she was walking the streets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Hotch is like, Jane, he's been coming to see you all this time. And she's like, me? And he's like, he hides in the barn. And then he leaves wind chimes. And she's like, oh my God, how nice. And I'm just like, no. No, that's not how nice. <laughs> yeah, that's not nice. And then Emily, this is where Emily is like, he's just a man. He's not an alien. And he wants to kill you. And Jane's like... I don't think he does, actually. Jane is like, George, you told me to run, but I didn't want to. I felt so alive. Um, and then Deputy Sal is like, yeah, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gideon finally drags him outside, and Jenk is like, Jenk, what? Jane and Frank. Jenk. Did you just give them a ship name and refer to them as their ship name? What the fuck? Yeah, I wonder. Wait, are there any fix on it? I literally was just like, <laughs> archive of our own. Twenty minutes later, we need to get back on track, please. I want to go to bed, James. Please. Okay. 
this wild? Okay. Jank. That's where we were. That's where we were. Frank wants a trade between Jane and the kids. He's like, you give me Jane, I leave, you can get the kids. And Frank's like, I love Jane. I'm never going to hurt anybody as long as I have Jane. Blah, blah, blah. Toxic nonsense. Gideon and Derek are holding Frank by the diner. And Emily and Spencer are like holding Jane by the car. And Gideon is like, why don't you leave me out to the kids with Jane? And I'll let you go. And Frank's like, oh, of course. I wouldn't want those kids to die. I couldn't have that on my conscience. Which is such a funny line. I know. This guy, Keith Carradine, man, you're so killing the game, dude. Yeah. So then then there's this weird, like, five-second voiceover that's like, we're going to take a truck. Gideon is going to drive. We're going to go. I'll tell you when to stop. And then I'll show you where the kids are, and then we'll leave. And, like, that's the whole voiceover. And yeah. And it's like, it's like, just have him say it like could you like you had to overlap that and the getting in the car but you couldn't have that extra five that's the five seconds you had to cut from the episode <laughs> like okay they get in the car they go and then jane and frank are in the back seat like holding on to each other like children and they like have a weird kiss that gideon like watches in the rearview mirror um and Frank's like, I feel for you, even if I can't feel anything, I feel for you. And it's like, where will we go? We can go anywhere. And they kiss. And then suddenly they kiss. And then Frank just goes, stop the car. Like he's like so detached. He just, whatever. Uh, and then they're just like on a random mountaintop. They're just like in the desert. Yeah. No, no concept of how far they are from town. Nothing. Uh, and then, okay, so then Frank and Jane are standing there, like, holding hands, and Gideon is like, Jane, he's gonna turn on you. It's gonna be bad. And Jane's like, I don't believe you. Whatever. And Frank's like, if you knew how we felt, you'd be with the one you loved. Which is like, when I think about what happens next ep- next time. <laughs> Yowza, huh? Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, okay, then Gideon's like, where are the kids? And Frank's like, over that ridge. And Gideon just goes, no deal. And Frank's like, you're gonna let all those poor children die? So Gideon's like, fine. I will never stop hunting you. Not ever. And Frank goes, same with you. I'll never stop loving Jane until you catch me. And he's like, you're insane. And they're like, love is insanity, isn't it? And Frank's like, one day, Gideon, I hope you feel like I do. And Gideon's like, if I do, I'll kill myself. <laughs> and you're like, ooh, burn. But then Frank goes, oh, let me know if you do. I'd love to pick your brains. <laughs> Hello? I'm not going to lie. I cackled. I'm not going to lie. That's why I'm like, G- Frank won. Like, beyond getting away, he got in Gideon's head. Literally, like, Gideon's threats, all of that stuff, like, didn't work. Not even a little bit. Um, I think it's interesting because, like, we see Gideon yell a lot, but I think he yells when he feels in control. 
you know, like it's not sort of power assertion for the sake of feeling powerful, but to project power. But he knows that like Frank can't feel fear or can't be like embarrassed or feel scolded. So like there's no point in yelling, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. So then um, Frank and Jane leave. Bye-bye. Into the desert they go. Oh, yeah. And then it just cuts to it being pitch fucking black outside. How much time passed? Literally, Frank is like, it's just over that ridge. And then Two it just miles that cuts way. Cuts to the middle of the fucking night. Like, it wasn't even, was it even sunset? It wasn't even golden hour-ish. It was like from day to night. To, like, pitch fucking black. Yeah. Yeah, it was so fucking weird. Gideon, dude. Also, if it had gone that much time, people would have come looking for them faster. Yeah. Um, So then Gideon finds the kids. A bunch of police cars show up, and I'm like, how did Gideon call you? How did he call them? Did he, like, have his cell phone on him? Because he gave over his gun. He gave over his earpiece. Okay. Does he have signal out there? I doubt it. And then Emily's like, oh, he just, like, told you where they were? And Gideon's like, yeah, he doesn't give a fuck about the kids. He went west. And the deputy's like, get the copter. Start a grid search to the west. Um, and then Hotch and Gideon, like, follow the tracks. And then they just, like, disappear midfoot. I think we're supposed to be like, ooh, aliens. Uh, and then the camera pans up to a black sky. And then it goes to credits, which is fun. But also, like, why are there not stars? They're in the middle of fucking nowhere. They're in the middle of the desert. There's gonna be stars. Where are the stars? Where are the stars? I was like, I really like that they did this pan up to this yeah. black sky and then it was the credits. But like, you're in the desert. Where are the stars? How's the moon that bright? And there's no stars. Like, Add them in post. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? It's so yeah. weird. It's just weird. Yeah, okay. Weird app. I, again, I like it. It's a good app. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in it that I really like. It's a weird one, though. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to give it an. What are you giving it? I think an eight, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good app. I don't think it's like a great app. Are you also giving it an eight? Yeah, I was thinking about a nine. I'm thinking I, about a nine, but now you've raised so many. I was thinking that too, but you've raised so many questions about how the fuck he did any of that in that no. time. I just like, like how I've watched this episode so much. I'm like, is it weird to not rate it highly? I mean, I guess an eight is still high. Eight is still really high. Do Need I remind you what our season one rankings were? Oh. In the <laughs> trenches. Okay. In the trenches. Okay, an eight. I'll do an eight. You'll do an eight? All right. I think that's a good solid up. They did, in fact, say the name of the episode within the episode many times. Like ten times. Um, did they say wheels up in this app? No. Even though they flew. Yeah, I just cut them there. They were just there now. They didn't have the time. <laughs> Lots they, needed, they needed to cut those precious seconds for his fucking voiceover. Mm-hmm. What else do we say on this podcast? 
what else do we say on this podcast? We say that next week, or next time, I should say, on Wheels Up, mm. we're talking about season two, episode 14, The Big Game. Oh, uh-huh. oh, uh-huh. oh, oh, bestie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. The Big Game. <sighs> Fuck, dude. That's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. Pun intended. We're also sort of now on the back half of season two, actually. Because there's 23 episodes in season two. So we're on the back half. Oh, yeah. Not going to be ending anytime soon, trust me. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, we're on the back half of season two. I've really been vibing this season, actually. This is a good fucking season. Maybe it's just because I've watched the season so many fucking times, but it's it is up there. It's just me. a good fucking season. Two, three, and four are the best seasons that have grown to mind, but I'll stand by that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Join us next time for the big game. Ugh. Yeah. James, <laughs> do you have an ending quote for me? Yeah, but don't we have some, like, socials to promote or something? Yeah, it's wheels up pot everywhere. You all get the gist by now. Yeah, and leave us, like, reviews and things. Leave us reviews. If you want to, you can leave us uh, messages on anchor.fm slash wheels up pod. You can leave us voice messages that we might even put in the podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your socials at wheels up pod. Yeah. That's it. What's my ending quote? We are all sons of bitches. It's just such a good line. Yeah, I know. Like, like I yeah, wasn't going to say it in the episode. It. I wasn't going to say it in the episode because you know, I tend to repeat. But that's just a good one. His fucking banger of lines. One is perfection. Two is love.